Um, well, hey, I just wanna pray before we start. Jesus, I, we invite you here today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. And I pray that your word would penetrate the hearts of your children today. Lord, whether they're children that know you or people that don't know who you are yet, Lord, you're the father of us all. So I pray that you would just speak to us and meet us where we are today in our journey. If we're at the beginning, haven't started, if we're in the middle or towards the end, would you just meet us today in a powerful and precious way? In Jesus' name, amen. So in 1997, I was a college student and I was at a, I was at a Bearcats Memphis, they were called Memphis State back then still, at a basketball game. And I was there and I remember just watching the game and I don't recall much of what else happened that day besides it was a really cold day in January. But I was just you know eating a hot dog, whatever, and I just remember looking up and I had a vision it was a vision from the Lord in a very obscure place. And what I saw was I saw um, almost like little tunnels of fire over the, what was then the Shoemaker Center. Out of the 10,000 seats, it seemed like 9,500 of them. And I just felt the Lord impress on my heart. He's like, Ryan, there's lots of people who will die and go to hell if they don't hear about me. And many people in this room, if they never hear about me, they will die and go to hell. They won't know who I am. They won't get to share, not only in the life to come, but the life that I alone give right now. And as we've been thinking about gospel fluency, I, that came back to mind, and I wanna ask, ask you the question, do you believe the people you love, the people you meet, or the people you don't know that if they never hear about Jesus, do you really believe that they'll spell, spend hell in eternity apart from him? And Jesus used hell very little to speak to the lost, but he used it often to speak to the found. Very interesting how we've used hell as our motivation to bring people in from the gospel, but Jesus told told those who seemed to be on his team about what they were up against. That A, for the people who were out there if they didn't hear, but then for those of us if we didn't share. And I wanna know, how does this sit with you? How does it sit with you? Do you believe people you know love that if they don't know Jesus, that according to the Bible, that they won't be with God forever when they die? Does this cause you to clinch up? Does this give you a sense of urgency or does it do nothing for you? When I look over the landscape of many churches, many Christians, I don't see an urgency in their appeal to share the love of Jesus, when, the love of Jesus with others. And I think sometimes if I'm honest, like in my own life, I don't always have that sense of urgency with people I meet, people I encounter, people that I'm around regularly. I think a lot of people I've heard, you know, I've done a lot of funerals in my life as a pastor. And a lot of people, like when someone dies, it'll go a little something like this. Well, Gramps was a good guy. He wasn't much of a church goer, but he didn't lie. He worked hard. And besides his magazine stash and gambling woos, we know he was a pretty moral guy who's in a much better place. Really? 
I think that in a lot of ways, if we're really honest, there's a hole in our gospel. And our hole in our gospel is just not that it, it is holistic, that it should touch every part of our lives, but that it's for everyone. Do you know that the Bible is very clear? If people don't know Jesus, if they never encounter him, if they never, if, if they never receive him and say yes to him, when they die, they will spend eternity apart from Jesus. I know that's wildly unpopular in this day and age that, oh, that's so judgy or that's so harsh. Like, that's just what it is. Jesus did not do what he did for like all drains to lead to the ocean. He said, I am the only way this works out. Like, I'm the only way this price is paid. There's no other chance anyone has of getting in. That's it. And like I said, to some people that might feel old-fashioned, that might feel pretty exclusive, it actually is. It's actually meant to be like that. And it's not because Jesus is doing some little club that if you don't know all the wizardry and all the handshakes and wear the special outfits, you're not in. It's just because what we're up against, there was no one else could do what he did. Hinduism doesn't solve the equation. Judaism couldn't solve the equation. Buddhism doesn't solve the equation. Islam, fatalisticness of it does not solve the equation. Only Jesus did. And you've heard me say before, if you've been here before, if not, this is your first time, I think many people are seduced by the farce in our country, the gospel of the good person. I think, I think one of the blessings of our country were the Christian moorings that so much of it was built upon. But I think one of the curses of our country is because of that, there is a Christian veneer on everything. So just like a lot of times people think if they're baptized as a baby or born as a Jew or born as a Muslim that they're good, that they're that thing because they were born that, I think a lot of people just assume because we were born American, we must be Christians or we must be good, moral, God-fearing people. And I think a lot of us treat the gospel and how we share that with other people according to that. That we just think they're American, they're Christian, they must be good. Do we live as if the gospel isn't enough? Because I think anytime when we start looking at the Bible and dissecting it and say, well, I don't know, that's kind of antiquated or that's kind of judgy or that's kind of nebulous. Maybe I need to come around and soften the blow for God because he seems mean or he kind of seems like an old codger. Like anytime we start adding to the gospel, we start disbelieving the power therein. Anytime we feel like we got to kind of make God look a little better because he'll sound like whatever to our friends, there's a part of the gospel we start not believing or living ourselves. And so that's the first part. The second part is, do I think it's important enough that I regularly talk to people about it? Do I regularly engage people around the conversation of the good news of Jesus, around the sin condition, around the problems that exist in our world? Like how many people did I have a meaningful conversation with in the past week or two that was around heavenly things? 
do I talk to people that don't know Jesus about the good news? And if I ask a question, if they just like, that's good, am I willing to dig deeper, to probe a little bit more? I think it's very important that we ask ourselves these things as we get more gospelly fluent, can we ask more than do you believe in God? Or what do you think about God? Not saying those aren't good baseline, but, but the gospel is more than just what I believe about Jesus. It's how do I live it? How does it manifest in my life? How does it touch my family? How does it touch my neighborhood through me? How does it rearrange my habits? How does it um, infiltrate my spending? See, because at, at first, like the first thing Jesus wants is our heart. The core of the gospel is Jesus wants our hearts because he's a lover. Jesus loves people. Jesus made everyone that's alive and he loves everyone that's alive and he wants everyone to receive his love. But then with that love, that's not just enough like, oh, I'm loved, go on, I'm gonna go, you know, gamble, shoot up or beat my wife up or whatever. It's not, that's not like enough. Jesus wants that gospel to come into me in such a sense where it's not just like a visceral or mental ascent that where it starts flowing out of my life, where it starts changing the way I see myself, starts changing the way I see the world and change the way I see God. Do I see God's gospel as big enough, good enough, strong enough, important enough that I gotta tell everyone about it? And, and I think that's a very essential thing. Uh, uh, Pastor Vince, uh, Vince Antonucci asks, are you close enough to people who are far from God? If not, if you are not close to people who are far from God, you are not as close to God as you think you are because the heart of God is always with people who are far from him. So maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe you're so insulated in Christendom that you don't even know any safe people, that you maybe don't really have opportunity to share the gospel anymore. What are you doing to rectify that? But I know as a pastor, I'm a professional Christian. Sometimes it's really hard to be amongst um, unsafe people beyond like a trip to Walmart or Kroger. Because like all day I'm in staff meeting or meeting with elders or meeting with people from the congregation or meeting with, with other Christian leaders. Like I really have to work to start up gospel conversations. I was on a plane a couple weeks ago flying back from Latvia and um, I was seated next, uh, next to this young lady, a Russian gal, and we wound up talking a lot about Jesus. We wound up just talking about life. I didn't just go in, hey, are you saved? You know, I didn't, it wasn't like that, but I, we just started talking about life and then we started just opportunities. I kept saying like, Lord, give me opportunities to share your love with this woman. And as we talked more and more, it seemed like she believed she was kind of a Christian because she had been exposed to Christianity as a kid. But none of it touched her life then and she felt hope, hopeless, she felt alone, she felt sad, she felt confused. And we started talking about the gospel, about like what that means. And as I talked about the gospel with her, like you saw hope like rise up in her. You saw tears start coming out of her eyes and I heard her voice shake and she had never heard about or thought about the gospel in a way that like it was beyond like fire insurance or a get out of jail free card. She'd heard the gospel when she was a young girl at a boarding school in India where her parents shipped her. And 
And I'm not saying, because there's definitely things I can do better, but man, I wanna be consumed with the gospel. Paul says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know the power of his resurrection. Do you have that hunger and that thirst? Because that, only that will create gospel fluency. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled. And being righteous doesn't mean that I'm like some great, wonderful, perfect guy. It's like righteousness is the person of Jesus. Do I crave Jesus? And if I crave Jesus, once I get acquainted with him, I'm gonna hear what his heart is for the unsaved world. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19, I think it's verse 10. Like he said, if you wanna know why I'm here, that's why. And if in this world we are like him, do we say that we are here to seek and save the lost? A pastor and author, an amazing leader, Craig Groeschel from Life Church, wrote this in one of his books called Lead Like It Matters. He said, churches that are consumed with the gospel don't add to their mission. Helping people find new life is their mission. A passion to share uh, Christ consumes them in a beautiful way. Churches without it are often filled with sincere Bible-believing uh, Bible Christians. Unfortunately, they're simply more concerned about themselves than about people who are not yet Christians, and they don't actually believe the Bible. They love the comfort of their Christian bubble so much that they're not willing to follow, follow Jesus as he tries to lead them to become friends with sinners so they can seek and save the lost. Is the gospel to you the new life it's created for you, the better life, the better friends, the better choices, your freedom, or is it that plus Jesus's, that knowing Jesus gave you that so you could go be salt and light in the world? See, Jesus gives us all that stuff. He wants that for us. He wants us to have life now into the full, but it's not for us in some vacuous sense that it's just for us in our little cloister. Jesus gives us that because it resonates the fact that the gospel is good and I can change lives. And it's very easy to become consumed because we, a lot of us live as our family is our mission. And we treat the kingdom as family as mission. Like, oh, my kids gotta be really good people or my, like this and that. Or it's my family or the mission. Like a lot of people run off and do the work of the kingdom and their family's a disaster. Family and mission. I think it's really about family on mission. The people in my household that I'm closest with should, should understand the essentials of the gospel because I live it. And living the gospel is more than just being a good person. Living the gospel is sharing the gospel to the point where sometimes people in your family and your friend circles might be uncomfortable with it. The gospel is going to be uncomfortable because it's not of this earth. It's not, it's different. And so like the Christian veneer that we put on things is, is, is going to be ruptured. It's gonna be fractured when we really live into the gospel of the kingdom. The good news is holistic. So if I believe the good news, I don't just live it, I share it. It touches my whole life, not just my moral choices, not just what I watch on Netflix or, or like on YouTube. The gospel is meant to touch my entire life and everyone in my life. That's why being gospel fluent is so important for more people than just missionaries and preachers. 
because there's people God loves in your circle that some missionary or preacher may never meet. But God sends you ahead of him to all the places he plans to visit. Jesus sends me ahead of him to all the places he wants to visit. Is the gospel infiltrating all your lives, habits, schedule, money, relationships, your worldview, etc.? Does everyone in your life know how much you love Jesus? Years ago, uh, years ago, Bill Bright was interviewed and just asked what he thought about Jesus and he just started weeping. This person was interviewing him and just started weeping. And Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, just has done so much in this world to move forward the preaching of the gospel. The Jesus film video, lots of new technology, just Campus Crusade. There's some people and organizations that have just thrust the gospel forward in amazing ways. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade was one of them. And he just started weeping. And the person interviewing, like, I kind of want to know Jesus like that. That it could just reduce me to a loaf of bread or a weepy person. Like, do, do we know Jesus like that? That's, that's a fluent gospel to people. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse one and two, it says, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. I think a lot of us live our lives or we believe the gospel in such a way that either God's arm is too short to save or that God maybe is indifferent and he doesn't, it doesn't matter to him that much. And this, this image of the, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, it, it's, uh, it conjures up a lot of things, but one of the metaphors embedded in the word language is that of a swimmer. So say someone falls in the water and you go to receive them, like you gotta reach down and grab them. It's kind of this metaphor of God's arm is long enough to grab that, that, that sinking person and pull them back to safety. So Isaiah invoking the, the, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Question, do you believe God's arm is long enough to save the lives of some of the worst people you've ever met? Do you believe God's arm is long enough to rescue you? Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been in church 20 years, but there's parts of your life that are so busted and broken that you live as if God's arm isn't long enough to pull you out of that gambling debt or that habit or that broken relationship or that violence or that whatever it is. Your life is stuck and maybe there's a part where maybe not, it's not even for other people. Maybe you'll preach your guts out to other people, but there's this secret thing in your heart that resides. Or maybe there's this backsliddenness um, that doesn't believe or doesn't live as if the arm of the Lord is long enough to save you from that thing. Like you might care about all this, Jesus, but I'm keeping that one back. Or maybe you couldn't do that one. Maybe you can do that over there, but I don't know if you could do that for me. And maybe that thing that you've wanted changed for years that nothing's happened yet, maybe that slowly eroded your faith in the good news to share it with others. Because the, the gospel first has to be good news to me. 
It has to be good news to me. Because we've all been sold something by someone that we learn later was a very snake oil type salesman. Or it was like, like, why was I the one who bought this product? And I think some of us maybe even preach a gospel confidently, but live a gospel like, whoa, they didn't believe what they were selling at all. But what we see in this, in, in this image in Isaiah 59 is Jesus, God says, the arm of the Lord is not so short to save. And he says in Jeremiah, he says, listen, I will come myself. I've sent prophets, I've sent priests, I've sent messengers. He says, next time I myself will come. The arm of the Lord that saves is Jesus. Jesus is this, this extension of God. God is man, where God reaches out of heaven into the world through Jesus. I don't know how all that stuff works, but I just know that there's three in one, but they're one. And that God reaches out, that, that, that the arm of the Lord is actually Jesus. So the only thing that can rescue people from death is Jesus. God didn't send a battalion of planes. He didn't send a bunch of para-angels with, you know, their guns. God sent Jesus. He said, listen, the rest of this isn't working. Next time, I myself will do it because my arm's not too short to save. And that arm signifies his strength, signifies like when someone extends their hand, it's his welcome, it's his strength, it's his capacity, it's him. Do you know that the gospel is God himself inviting people to come into his kingdom? That it's God himself when people are in their mess, in their brothel, in their pain, in their waywardness, in their rebellion, <clears throat> that it's God himself and say, I welcome you into my kingdom and I make a way for you into my kingdom. That's what the gospel is. And maybe you're sitting here tonight uh, I'm sorry, not tonight, this morning, and the gospel hasn't touched you. Maybe you've been sitting here forever and you need his touch today. Hebrews chapter three says, today if you hear, don't harden your hearts. Because there's good news here for you today that God wants to reveal light to you. He wants to give life to you. And so maybe you're coming to Jesus for the first time, the second time, or maybe just it's been a long time. Like God wants his power to be real in your life, that his arm is not only too short to maybe save your friends, to save the human traffickers, but it's not too short to rescue you from wherever you're at today. Maybe you're in massive pain. Maybe you walk in here today and your just heart's broken. You're in tons of pain. Maybe you're like, I'm gonna come here one more time. Or maybe you're walking here confused, like, man, the world is saying this. I don't know if I can even believe this stuff anymore. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I, I just find all this really confusing. I have a hard time believing that God is that powerful or that he's that personal. People are drowning and dying in their sins and maybe it's you, but God's arm isn't too short to rescue you. Lamentations chapter three, verses 54 through 58. Lamentations is like kind of like the continuance of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied a lot of doom and horrific things. And then Lamentations kind of like as it, a lot of it's being fulfilled. So it's Lamentation, like Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Like it's just like, like a lament, like just terror and sadness. But he says this, Waters flowed over my head and I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. 
and you heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you and you said, do not fear. Oh Lord, you have pleaded my soul's case. You have redeemed my life. Is the gospel that to you? Like at one point in time, I was so busted and broken, I had no hope. I was drowning in the waters. Waters flowed over my head and the arm of the Lord wasn't too short to save. Does the gospel still impact or has it impacted you like that? I think one of the worst things in church is a lot of the, one of the worst uh, examples or maybe rationales we give for the gospel is a lot of people come to Christ and then they just come to church and like, hey brother, hey sister, how's it going? Oh, everything's okay, everything's perfect. We're like a bunch of Lego people. Everything is awesome. And it's like, <laughs> and it's not. But when I look at the book and I look at Jesus, the gospel is honest. And we just, we, we kind of bought this lie about the gospel too, that you just got saved and that was good. Here's your fire insurance policy. You're good to go. The gospel's also sanctification. The sanctification is that process of becoming like Jesus where we're readying ourselves for heaven and we're showing a movie trailer of heaven of the life of the age to come to people by how God is transforming our lives, by how he's transforming our finances, by how he's transforming our habits, our language, our eyes, our attitudes, our depression, our loneliness, our friendships, our marriages. All these things are the sanctification process in the Bible says just as much if not more about becoming like Christ than it does just getting saved. Because Jesus isn't just kind of God who like rescues a dying dog from a pool and just drags him out and like, you okay, puppy? Yeah, I might not give you CPR if you're not, but okay, good job, you're out of the water. A lot of us treat Jesus like that's how he saves. No, Jesus says, like, listen, I come to not only pull you out of the water, and to pull the water out of you, but to give you my new life, to put my new water into you so you won't have to jump in those pools again. Because the water that I give you, you can't match it, but you can always swim in it. You can live in it. It'll never overwhelm you. It'll never drown you. You can live there. So I didn't just come to pull you out of the water. I came to give you new life. And I came to walk with you from the day I pull you out. That's what the gospel is like. It's not just some rescue thing. And we've cheapened the gospel so much and so many people are not fluent in the gospel because we just preach the gospel of salvation and we don't talk about sanctification. That's why we talk about discipleship so much around here because discipleship is the process of becoming like Jesus. It's not only I've been pulled out of the water, but now I'm breathing and I'm living in new waters. That's what the gospel is like. One of my favorite uh, preachers and just amazing man of God, Reinhard Bonnke. You've heard me talk about him before. Reinhard Bonnke is this evangelist, this German dude, just died a couple years ago. The dude led about 90 million people to Christ. Say 90 million to the person next to you. 90 million. I think only about 15 nations, uh, I'm sorry, only about 20 nations on earth, if my math's correct, have 90 million people living in them. So this guy led 90 million people to Christ. And one of the things that he came up with was this, was he called the ABCs of the gospel. 
he would preach it, that the basic of the gospel is admit them, that I'm a sinner, A. Friends, if we don't admit people are sinners, we're gonna have a hole in our gospel. Like everyone you know, you need Jesus. All have sinned, as Emily read in Romans chapter 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It, it is requisite for people to make that confession to enter the kingdom. No one can come to the kingdom without bowing to the king. And that bowing to the king is that admission like, I'm a sinner, I need your help. And that might even sound old school. Oh, sinner, that's such a, like, just get over it. If you want to define the Bible, don't look at the culture, look at the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible says, if you want to know who someone is, if you want to know who someone is, read their autobiography, not just their biography. A lot of us are accepting the biographies of preachers, of podcasts, of the culture, of churches, and, and omitting, and we get got the verse of the day, but we're omitting the grander scale, like the autobiography of what God says about himself. The Bible says we are a sinful people who are far from God and need his touch. So I have to admit I'm a sinner to come into the kingdom. And if we can never talk about our stuff real or other people's stuff real, we're gonna have a hard time sharing the gospel of the kingdom with people. The next part, B. I have to, I have to believe Jesus is the answer to my sin issue. Do we believe Jesus is enough? Do we believe he's the only way that people can be rescued from the swirling waters that have engulfed them? Do I believe that? If I don't believe that, other people might not believe it either because I can't really communicate it. And C, call upon his name and you'll be saved. Romans chapter 10 talks about calling upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Do we walk people up to that or do we just leave them like, well, I hope they figure it out because it might be too cringy for me to really say, well, do you want to give your life to Jesus? It's important that not only we can walk this path, but that we can lead others to it. And the ABC of the gospel is it's very simple. Simple and easy are not the same thing, right? So in the D, I would say the, the D of the gospel, so that maybe we'll add this, this is the RSV, um, the Ryan Snow version, is admit I'm a sinner, Believe Jesus is the answer to my sin issue. Call upon his name as you say, and then get discipled. We gotta disciple people to grow in Christ's likeness, to be able to stay on the vine and to produce fruit in keeping with this change of heart, like this repentance that they had. See, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, this, ancient, uh, this uh, 16th century philosopher, mathematician, um, said that he believes that there's a God-shaped hole inside of everyone, that there's a God-shaped hole in the life of every man. And really, only God himself can fill that hole. No money, no drugs, no alcohol, no partying, no fame. I mean, like, kind of keeping up with, like, some of the celebrity stuff. It's amazing to me the amount of people that rise to the top of the mountain that have everything yet have nothing. Because we'll try to fill our lives with so many things. And we, because there's a lot of people in your life that maybe the ones you don't believe need the gospel, they've got it together. They're a great husband or wife or business leader. Or they've got like more money than China's got tea. Or they've got this and that. Like, they're, like their, phys, their physique, their persona. A lot of us don't think that everyone needs it. 
But a lot of times, people up at the top just have a better way of masking it. That's why Jesus says to beware against like the love and the accumulation of stuff, because each thing that I have starts to barricade me in my need for the kingdom. I can pay to fix my own car. I can pay to get counseling. I can pay to have this hole in my roof fixed. I can, and all these things, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but Jesus says to beware of that stuff because a lot of people, the more we get, the harder it is to lay in a posture of need independence, to admit I'm a sinner, to believe that he's the only answer to my problem and to call upon his name when I need help. So I wanna ask you today, Where have you stepped back from the gospel? Where have you maybe lost your passion? Do you care about Jesus and the lost like you used to? Band, if you guys wanna start coming up. Or maybe there's an area of your life where the gospel's not that, that you're stuck. And look, in your, maybe you keep, maybe you have an endless need for approval that you can't get over. Maybe every relationship in your life just keeps coming back that you need to be affirmed, you need to be acknowledged, you need to be accepted, you need to be right. Chances are, if you're in this place with loads of relational conflict, there's a part of your life the gospel isn't touching the way it's meant to. Or maybe you have a habit you can't break, no matter how hard you try. You can't kick that food or that porn or that, those drugs or, you know, um, pot is a drug. And I don't care what our culture and what laws say about it, it's a drug. And it's really hard to receive the kingdom when we're constantly under the influence of something else. That's not popular either, but Jesus talks about it. He says, let me fill you. Let me touch you. I can rescue you from those waters. All that stuff you're covering with these antidepressants, these um, anti-inflammatories, this anti-mood, whatever this stuff, like listen, all that stuff can be a stopgap, but if you don't believe you can live life without it, there's a hole in your gospel. And Jesus can touch that. I think we have a culture of people addicted to many, many drugs and things, and we're starting to see more and more of acceptance of this stuff. And Je what if Jesus has something better than just something that numbs it or quells it slightly? What if he has freedom? And I'm not saying that if you're on some mood-altering thing or some, um, you know, uh, personality disorder thing that you're wrong for taking it, but I also believe that there could be freedom for that. I believe that the gospel is not just take this until you die and we'll hope that that controls it. I believe Jesus says, I wanna touch that part of your life. And maybe how he touches it is a combination of medicine and other things, but I also believe that some of us are on those things and don't need to be, and we could get free if we would receive what he has for us. I, I can't diagnose every, everyone's conditions, but I think a lot of people are on those things that maybe don't need to be. There's some people that that's their life. They have to have it. There's a hormone imbalance. There's this issue. But I think there's a lot of people, a lot of us walked in here with crutches today that Jesus wants us to turn over to him and he wants to help us walk differently today. Where do you need rescuing this morning? Do you know Jesus won't force you to be rescued? You could be looking up at his face 
in the waters, swirling down the drain, and he has his arm out, but he'll never force you to grab it. He'll never force your friends to grab it. He's not like that, he's a lover. Love gives a choice. Where's your life swirling? Do you need Jesus to touch your life today? Where, where are you not reaching back to him to receive his salvation? It says today, if you hear his message, don't harden your hearts. Where's your heart hard towards the gospel? Where's maybe your heart hard towards someone else? If you're bitter, if you're bitter, Jesus wants to touch that part of your life and set you free. And you don't have to be an addict or on death road or your life's rolling down the drain. You could be, have many degrees or live in a big house and have all the right friends and toys, but yet inside something's missing. That's where the gospel wants to come into your life today. And like I said, only Jesus can rescue you and me. But also, do you know he wants to? Like God wants us to reach back and he wants us. He doesn't want anyone to swirl down that drain alone. He wants us to reach back. So, or maybe you've been saved a long time, but you're still drinking the stinking old waters. Maybe you still cuss like a sailor, lie like a rug. Maybe you still got these habits. Maybe you're like, I've been saved, but I'm not free. Where do you need freedom today? Respond to the gospel. If I have prayer teams, if prayer people wanna come up, unless you're one of these people, it's like, I need prayer today, don't come up and get prayed for. But where, where do you need the gospel today? Because the gospel is not just for the lost, it's for the saint. Like the good news is, is I, I get to be with Jesus. I get to come out of the waters, but also that I need to, that I can live in new waters. Where do you need, maybe you've never received the Holy Spirit. Maybe you believe the Bible. Maybe you knew God, you said a confession, but you're like, I don't know if I have the power. I don't know if I have what it takes to have overcoming life. Maybe you need to receive those new waters of the Holy Spirit. We wanna pray for you today. Or maybe you'll say, you know what? I'm not quite ready. Years ago, I remember a friend of mine who wasn't quite ready. He's like, I can kind of have my cake and eat it too. That I'm 19, when I'm 79, I'll give my life to the Lord. We died when he was 39. Do you know that the kingdom of God, there's a now and not yetness, but the kingdom of God does not run in front of us, it runs parallel to us. You never know when your time's gonna end. And so there is an urgency that if today, if you hear his voice, if you're hearing his voice, don't leave here today. Whether you're 10 or you're 100, don't leave here today because the kingdom of God runs parallel and you're not promised anything. And I've seen too many times that the one who waited till the 11th hour dies at 10.30. My friend died at 10.30. Never received the gospel of the kingdom because the kingdom of God runs parallel, not in front. So maybe that's you today. You're like, oh, I got my life to figure it out. Today is the day. If you hear his voice, respond and don't harden your heart. And you might be a great, righteous, holy person to other people. 
Maybe you're fooling your spouse, maybe you're fooling your boss, maybe you're fooling your employees, maybe you're fooling your church, but you know inside there's something in you that when you open up the book or you receive prayer, that it doesn't look like that. You might be fooling everyone. Do you know you can't fool God? He wants you to receive the good news of the kingdom today. And it's not just like if you got saved at one time, it's all good. It's just, if you have stuff today, receive, receive what Jesus has. Maybe you already have him, but you just need a fresh touch. You need the spirit, you need confession, you need breakthrough, whatever it is. Don't leave today, don't harden your hearts. This is the day of salvation for someone here today. Either in your situation or your life, or maybe your family bondage. This is the day of salvation. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for everyone that walked in here today. I thank you for every life, Lord. You know where we are. And not only do you want us fluent in the gospel, you want us to live the gospel. You invite us to a new culture, to a new life, to a new kingdom, to a new name, to a new family. Lord, give us boldness. Maybe today you're like, I'm, I have all this, but I just don't care like I used to. Come receive prayer today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Lord, your arm is not too short to save. You wanna receive us. Lord, put a, a, an urgency in our lives for us to respond to you and for us to reach out to other people. Would you come, Holy Spirit, fill people afresh, fill people anew today. If anything I've said today, if this is you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. Who else? Thank you. Yeah, raise your hand. And if you're raising your hand, I'm gonna trust that you come and get prayer today or someone around you is gonna pray because don't miss this opportunity because the kingdom does not always run in front of us. It's running next to us and Jesus is coming today and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, come with me or come back to me. Let me fill you afresh. Let me fill you anew. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel of the kingdom. Will you touch our hearts, our lives? Would you meet people today? If you didn't raise your hand and you don't know Jesus, you're like, I don't know him. I don't know what the God you're talking about. Today is your day. Come receive him. If you need a fresh touch, come receive him. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to pray for a while. I'm just going to ask you, don't just run out of here if you're you know, sit in it for a minute. If you need prayer, don't leave today. If you hear his voice, that's his word, Hebrews 3.15. Don't harden your heart. Maybe some of this is bothering you. Don't harden your heart. Just say, okay, Lord, I don't like this, but I'm gonna open my heart to it. I'm gonna open my heart to you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. 